excited I am if I was Yoda. Only the Star Wars fans got that. That's all right. So tonight we are continuing in our series, Discipleship Equipped. We have started in June, and our goal in this series has been to equip you for the work of ministry. Ephesians 4 says that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the church or the saints for the work of ministry. So that's what this series has been about. I would encourage you, if you're new to the series, if you're wondering, like, man, what have they been talking about for two months plus now, go back on eternalcity.org, listen to the archives, and catch up. Tonight is going to be mainly for the introverts. Any introverts in the house? Let me see hands. Yeah. I love you guys. You're lying, bro. You need to repent. Um, so, so this message is going to, yes, address the extroverts, but I wanted to show love to my introverts because for most of you, this has been a terrifying series because uh, a lot of what we have talked about is a lot easier for extroverts. It, it comes more naturally for us who love people, who are energized by people, who are okay with the crowd, who don't have social anxiety, who, you know, just they get energized by people. But for introverts, this has been a very challenging and I would say scary series. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I see a head nod and a point. Okay, so this one is for you guys. However, listen, extroverts in the room, don't go to sleep. Because, listen, you need to know that everyone is not like you. And just because someone is not as fiery for the gospel and evangelism and discipleship as you are, does not mean they're not as spiritual as you. Perhaps they're more spiritual than you. They're just built and wired differently. Okay, so we need to see that God makes many different people, many different ways, all to accomplish his mission. So we're going to talk about God made us different, so we use different discipling strategies. God made us different, so we will use different discipling strategies. We're going to look at this under three different headings. One, different measures of faith and gifts of grace. Two, our God created personality and discipling within our unique makeup. And three, Jesus is creating a diverse people to reach a diverse people. <laughs> okay, so let's do number one. First, I want to remind you of last week. Um, we talked about different discipling strategies. And really, this is going to be, if you will, a part two of that message, even though I'm aiming at the introverts. So Mark Dever said this about discipleship, and I think it's so helpful. I wanted to show you again. Can you guys on the, my right see that screen? Is that visible to you? Okay. Discipleship could simply be explained this way, helping others follow Jesus. Is there anyone in the room who can't do that? I didn't think so. All of you can help someone else follow Jesus. Two, deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. This is discipleship, simplified. It's helping others follow Jesus and deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. And I think this is such a helpful quote. I wanted to bring it back one more time. Mark Dever again says, part of being a disciple, in fact, is to disciple. Part of growing in maturity is helping others grow in maturity. And what we've been saying all along is 
we live in an isolated, individualistic, self-serving culture, and because of the availability of discipleship material on the internet, you could literally hermit yourself in your house, never engage with anyone else except for on social media, and feel like you're a scholar, and you're growing, and you're just under Jesus on the maturity level. And that's just not true. If you're not helping others grow in maturity, you're not really growing in maturity. Okay? So we want to be, yes, growing individually as we do quiet time and prayer and Bible study and podcasting and sermon listening. But listen, we need to be engaging others. And my introverts, you can do this. You can do this. All right, let's look at Romans 12, 3 to 8. This is Paul right after um, giving heavy, heavy theology. He now gets practical in Romans 12. He starts out with, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Verse 2 of chapter 12 is that famous, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind rather than being pushed into the world's mold. And then we're going to break into verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Friends, this is a warning that we are prone to think more highly of ourselves than we should. We are just naturally prone to think we're awesome, unless you struggle with depression. Then you know you're not. <laughs> and maybe you're better off. But listen, we need to be sober about our judgment of who? Of ourselves. Now, in context, he's going to tell us what that actually means. Look. Each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. So he's specifically speaking about sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to each one of you. Did you know that God has assigned literally a measure, a measurable amount of faith to each one of us? Faith, very simply, is trust. And we're going to see exactly in context in a minute what that faith applies to, but just keep that in mind. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, or parts, and the members do not all have the same function. So in a body, as you know, there is a tongue, and there's eyes, and there's ears, and there's a nose, and there's a, a pancreas, and there's... What does the pancreas do? Anyone know? I don't know what it does. Nothing? Yeah, nothing. You could go without it. But... Someone in the body of Christ is a pancreas. You know that, right? Yeah. The little arm hairs, the neck hairs that are so annoying. Some of you is, a, is an annoying neck hair. Um, but I love you. So in, on the body, there is many members that all make up one part of the body, yet we're all part of one body. And here's what we have a tendency to do. We tend to have not sober judgment about ourselves, thinking we are awesome, and if everyone's not doing it like us, they're not doing it. Yet, if they're a different body part, just by nature of there being a different body part, they're going to do discipleship different. Does that make sense? So that's what Paul's saying. Each person has been given a different measure of faith, and each person is a different body part, and they will not all have the same function. Stop imagining everyone should be you. Please. Please. Okay, let's move on. That was called exhortation, by the way. I'm exhorting you. Stop it. Okay. 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ. So the in Christness is what makes us a part of the body. The in Christness is what makes us united. And individually members of one another. Now that's interesting. We are all individuals, but individually we're members of one another, just like a body. Now, here's the part that connects to the faith given to each one of us. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now listen, this grace given to us is the measure of faith that we are to measure ourselves by. That's the context. So, if service in our serving. So God has given some of you a measure of faith which would look like a grace gift, a gift given without being earned, without deserving, and you will serve, and you will serve well. Okay? In our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his... Act. Oh, I skipped prophecy. You thought that was on purpose. You're like, he's a cessationist. He just skipped over that. No, I didn't. I just missed it. So, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. Okay, here's what that means. I mean, some of you were like, man, he just skipped over the hard one. So, prophecy can be foretelling, like the Old Testament, Ezekiel and Isaiah and Micah. But, in our New Testament, New Covenant era, what we have more often is Yes, God can bring things spontaneously to your mind that you were not planning to say to people. And I think you could categorize that if it fits in the biblical text with prophecy. But most regularly, friends, it's going to be you speaking God's word. It's going to be you speaking God's word. That's prophecy. Okay? So are there any more capital P prophets like Isaiah and Amos and Ezekiel? No, there isn't. They're gone. Okay? So there is no more, uh, if someone speaks a word and it's uh, inaccurate even a little bit, we need to stone that person because Agabus, the prophet in Acts, got his prophecy just a little bit wrong if you read it. What happened to Paul was not exactly how he prophesied it. That's because that, that capital P prophecy gift was Old Covenant. There is a different kind of prophecy gift in the New Covenant. And I'm not trying to do a, a message on prophecy here. But uh, I would commend you to do your own research on that. And if you want to talk about that more with me later, we can do that. Okay, but the normal use of this gift of prophesying would be you speaking God's word, just like I'm doing to you right now, reading and explaining this text. Okay, all right, let's move on. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. Exhortation would be like, stop it. Quit. That's exhorting. The one who contributes, that would be giving, in generosity. The one who leads, you could translate that, gives aid, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so the, the, the measure of faith God gives you is the level or degree to which you can operate in the gifting that he has given you. So, for example, there are some who have better gifts of teaching than others, yet they still have a teaching gift, Right? There are some people who have the gift of giving, yet some people have a lot more money to contribute than others. Okay? There are some people who serve, but we know that there's people who overserve. And listen, the point is not to compare, oh, look how great they are versus this person. No, the point is to say there's a measure of faith delivered to each person, and by the grace given to them, they should operate in their gifting, not compare themselves with the other body part and say, I should be like that. 
Okay? So if, you're, if that's your tendency, is to compare, stop. It's not biblical. Stop comparing yourself and stop comparing yourself with others to make yourself feel better. That's arrogance and pride. To measure yourself by someone else and then elevate yourself in your mind, that's nothing but arrogance and pride. Stop it. It's sin. You should repent. I love you, but you should repent. That's exhortation. I got that gift, and I'm going to use it more in a minute. Okay, (laughs) let's move on. Number two, our God created personality, and we should disciple within our unique makeup. Okay, I hope this helps you. Okay, God has created personality, and we should disciple within our unique makeup. All right, now some of you know about this, some of you don't. Uh, This is kind of Myers-Briggs-ish. What is Myers-Briggs? It's a personality type test, and it's very accurate and helpful, which is why I have it on the screen for you to see. So you're going to find yourself in one of these three places. Now, there's varying degrees. Some of you are high introverts. Some of you are really low uh, extroverts, but let's look at it. What's an extrovert? An outgoing, gregarious, that means sociable person, energizes or recharges by being with people. That's some of you. You're like, you're in a crowd and all of a sudden your battery is at full 100%. You're like, yeah, you know, it's just like you drank 12 Red Bulls. You get in a crowd and it's like, you're on. Introvert, a person characterized by concern primarily with his or her own thoughts and feelings. So you might see an introvert over in the corner and you're like, they're ticked. They're not. They're just stuck in their head because they're introverted. And they're thinking about something that happened 10 months ago and you're thinking they're thinking about you in a bad way and they're not. They're not thinking about you at all. You should think about yourself with sober judgment. They don't care that much about you. (laughs) But we do that. We're like, man, they're thinking about me right now. You can't read that. You're not a prophet. Stop it. What's an ambivert? One whose personality type, or or I I didn't finish, energized or recharged by being alone. So let me see hands. Let's be honest. Who energizes or recharges by being alone? Come on, hands higher. You don't have to be ashamed. Okay, I would say maybe half of us. Maybe half of us. How about extrovert? How many of you are extroverted? Let me see your hands. You're charged by being... Okay, that's... And then let's look at this one. An ambivert is one whose personality type is intermediate between extroverted and introverted. You do well, you function well when energized with or without people. How many of you are that middle person? Yeah, I think I'm the middle person. Some of you are doing all three. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. All right. We we as a church, we we as a church have taken uh, a course together in Porterbrook. Those of you who engaged, it was called uh, Gospel Relationships, and it's still available on BibleMesh.com. I would highly, highly recommend it. I'm going to share some uh, quotes from that particular course because it was so helpful. And listen... Find yourself in what I'm saying and be helped, okay? Listen for yourself. Maybe listen for your spouse. Listen for your kids. Listen for your coworkers. Listen for your neighbors. Listen, you need to know who people are so that you know how to disciple them and so that you know how to take them. This is all to equip you so that you can disciple people. All right, so introverts would say this. I like getting my energy from dealing with ideas, your idea people. 
memories and reactions that are inside my head. I take time to reflect so that I have a clear idea of what I'll be doing when I decide to act. I am seen as reflective or reserved. I prefer to know just a few people well. So if you're a person who says, I really want just a few people to know well, you're probably introverted. Okay? My identity is found in something other than being an introvert. Okay, so here's, this is really important. Friends, we cannot let our personality type define us. It may describe us, but it must not define us. Okay? So we should never let descriptions like this, which do explain us, they can't define us, especially if we're in Christ. The gospel and the in Christness defines us. This just describes us, okay? So now I want to help you introverts to think gospel about your introvertedness. This is, again, from the Porterbrook Gospel Relationships course. My identity is found in something other than being an introvert. This is really good news. If my identity is found in my categorization as an introvert, I am trapped and helpless. I am no longer a responsible agent, and I have been reduced, more or less, to being a programmed responder. So, although the term introvert helpfully describes me, it cannot and must not define me. If allowed to do so, I am falling into the trap of believing a lie. I have started to craft an idol, and I am giving obedience to someone or something other than the Savior. Because I am in Christ, my introversion is now encapsulated by that in Christness. All right, introverts, see if this is you. What if in a room there is someone on their own who is obviously feeling isolated and uncomfortable? No matter how much I may want to retreat into my world, the truth is, the truth as it is in Christ helps me to see that my function in that moment is to be a better lover. That is how I fulfill my purpose to glorify God by making much of His Son. In Christ, I have all that I need for life and godliness, for that is what the cross secured. At one level, I may not want to. I may crave my personal space, but I need to get over myself. I need to take the grace of God I have enjoyed in my life so that I may be a means of grace to others. Who knows? An extrovert may be the last kind of person that individual needs, but will open up to you quicker than a flower in the morning sun. So introverts who see someone over by themselves are tempted to say, I won't know what to say. I'm not a small talk person. I can't talk to them. I'm just going to sit here in my own little thought world. Meanwhile, what if that person sitting over there, whether here or in a park, is the very person God wants you to go talk to because you're the exact person and personality type they need? That's very possible. And I would say if God is sovereign, he kind of connected the, the situation where you guys are in close proximity and it's probably on purpose. It's probably on purpose. Okay, let's do extroverts. I like getting my energy from active involvement in events and having a lot of different activities. Is this you? I am excited when I'm around people and I like uh, to energize other people. I like moving into different action and making things happen. I generally feel at home in the world. I often understand a problem better when I can talk out loud about it and hear what others have to say. 
I am seen as outgoing or as a people person. I feel comfortable in groups and like working in them. I have a wide range of friends and know lots of people. I sometimes jump too quickly into an activity and don't allow enough time to think it over. Before I start a project, I sometimes forget to stop and, cl and clear on what I want to do and why. You just, I'm in. No thought to it, just you're in. Okay, now here's some help for you extroverts from the gospel. Extroverts, as much as introverts, need to appreciate that is how I am rather than who I am. It's how you are rather than who you are. How you are rather than who you are. If someone confuses those two, they will be controlled by their environment and their circumstances. Listen, we don't want to be under the control of circumstances and situations. We want to be under control of the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not, what? Carry out the desires of the flesh. Okay, let's keep going. An extended time of illness. Now this, this is like, this is like hell to an extrovert, okay? <laughs> Listen. An extended time of illness where it is necessary to spend time in bed and so therefore alone might well become unbearable. Now introverts are like, please, please. <laughs> I will be subject to mood swings, prone to sadness and a deep sense of frustration because I do not have others to engage and interact with. I will feel a sense of frustration because I do not have others to engage and interact with. I feel inadequate, suppressed, and unfulfilled. Whereas this may be a wonderful provision from my Father to spend time with Him in His Word and in thoughtful, prayerful conversation. So those of you who, when you're alone, you feel like everyone's abandoned you, that's probably a problem because God has not abandoned you. And maybe, just maybe, God wants you to spend a little time with Him and he's right there. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But for extroverts, if people are absent, they feel like they're crumbling. Just like for introverts in a large crowd, they feel like they're crumbling. But listen, in Christ, you both can do otherwise. To an extrovert, a room full of people can be like a, like a dazzle of zebras to a lion. It's so easy to make, to, to make that opportunity for self-indulgence. Those people become a means to my end, and it becomes all about me as surely as it is when an introvert hides himself away. So what we have a tendency to do is elevate the extrovert, and we're like, look how, look how people-y they are. Meanwhile, they're actually using people to self-fulfill their extrovertism. <laughs> Just like introverts seclude to fulfill their introvertism. And both are wrong, friends. You're using people. You're, you're either secluding and not engaging with people, not loving them, or you're using people to fulfill some need in you. Neither are love. But if I see myself as defined by my union in Christ, then I simply have to adopt an appropriate strategy. I am, I am, I am not the prime motivating factor the frame of the Savior is, the fame of the Savior is, I want to commend Him to others and incite others to love Him and be thankful for Him. That sometimes means taking the initiative with others and it sometimes means taking a step backwards to give others some space. But I have no need to be the center of attention and I have no requirement to try to save either others or the party. It is my function to love them which means seeking their best and encouraging them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. 
Okay, do you see how one is self-fulfilling and the other is loving them by pushing Christ and seeking His fame and glory? Let's look at Psalm 139, a very famous passage. Oh, sorry. There's a really fantastic, interesting book that I have right here called Introverts in the Church. And if this is your thing tonight, you need to get this book and read it. It's on audio as well. But this, look at this quote. Extroverts speak in order to think, whereas introverts think in order to speak. Which are you? Do you think in order to speak or do you speak in order to think? Like, I can look at every one of you and nail you. <laughs> I know you all. No, I'm just kidding. But this is helpful, isn't it? This is helpful to see who am I talking to and how do I approach them and do I read them rightly in order to disciple them rightly. Now let's do Psalm 139, 13 to 16. For you, for me, this is David speaking uh, of God in one of the most famous psalms in the whole Bible. You form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is God's intricate working in the mysteries of the formation of the body from conception. A person, not a feces. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, You could translate that, I am fearfully set apart. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Verse 15 is important. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret. So this is God intricately making each one of you in the secret. What's the secret? The womb. He's putting you together, not just your body type and your shape and your, your personality, your gifts, your makeup, the measure of faith that he uh, is going to give you if you're a Christian. It's all being woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, wet when as yet there was none of them. That, that is a mysterious verse 16 there. So there's a book that God has written. And every one of our days were formed and they were written in there when as yet there was none. In other words, every one of our days were written in this book before one of them came to be. That's God's mysterious sovereign providence. He's amazing. But listen, the point of this passage for you is to see God has uniquely made you, you, for a purpose. And you don't have to compare yourself and wish you were someone else with their gifts and their abilities and their situation and their makeup and on and on and on. God made you you and you need to be comfortable in your you-ness in Christ so that you can make disciples how He's designed you to make disciples. We cool with that? Is that freeing? I hope. Okay. Eddie says it's freeing. The truth is, we tend to put Christian extroverts up as the model for Christian maturity. We do this. We're like, look at that person, man. He's over there talking to this person. He's talking to that person. He's... He's up in the crowd preaching, he's speaking. Meanwhile, it's more personality than it is spiritual maturity. But we do that. We, you know, we, we tend to look at extroverts and we think they're unspiritual when it's just not the case. So I, I want to read you a little passage from this book. And this may make you want to buy the book. It's a fantastic little illustration of how introverts process and how extroverts process. So here it is. This is called internal processing. It's how you process information, your environment, the world. The second classic mark of introversion is internal processing. In our culture, we are continuously bombarded by stimuli in the forms of information, images, conversation, and multitude of other data and experiences. 
In order for introverts' lives not to degenerate into disassociated states of confusion, we need to process the stimuli and integrate them into our lives. Another way that this integration process might be described is filtering. You know what filters are. You use them in your coffee every morning. Okay? Your heater has one, a filter. We need to filter information and experiences, allowing the good to take root in us and transform us, disregarding the bad or irrelevant. Introverted and extroverted filtration systems are different. Extroverts have flexible and porous filters that allow much to pass without getting clogged. They can usually take a much higher amount of stimuli before they get inundated. They mostly process externally, though through conversation and interaction with others. Talking is an integral part of their processing, and they often speak in order to understand. Their speaking and thinking occur simultaneously. So that, that should be helpful for some of you. Um, in conversation, maybe with a loved one, if they're extroverted, they're thinking as they're talking. And you're, if you're introverted, you're taking their words as God's truth. Meanwhile, they're just thinking out loud. That's a real thing. Their thinking and speaking occur simultaneously. Though they are capable of internal filtration and reflection, they are most alive when engaged in the world of people and activity. This tendency lends itself toward a trial and error learning style as they depend on external feedback to grow. Their outward fil filtering is done not only with words, but also with their bodies. So extroverts may be more physically expressive than introverts. Body language, it looks like they're super emotional and freaking out. Meanwhile, it's like, this is your extrovertism. Okay, I can chill now. I don't have to respond with as much emotion as you. Now, the introverted filter. You ready for this, introverts? This is going to be helpful. The introverted filter, on the other hand, is much finer and more rigid, only able to allow small amounts of stimuli to pass before it backs up. Introverts process internally in the workings of their own minds. We, this brother who's writing this is an introvert, we integrate and think silently. Ideally, we like to be removed from external stimuli and people in order to process. Our thinking precedes our speaking, which means we will often pause as we reflect and carefully choose our words. This tendency can be exasperating to some extroverts who may find themselves wanting to finish our sentences. I apologize, friends, when I finish your sentence. I do it. I'm sorry. Pray for me who may find themselves wanting to finish our sentences. Though we are capable of engaging in the world, we are most alive in the reflections of our minds, mauling over concepts and experiences. Our learning style centers around observation and contemplation, and we, will, and we are not as dependent on external feedback for growth. Many introverts do not do well with interruptions, either when we are speaking or reflecting, because we draw conclusions before speaking. Interruptions disrupt our train of thought and force us to process newly presented information before responding. Introverts may become even more frustrated when people mislabel their internal processing. Do you catch that? So an introvert already knows what they want to say, and then as they're talking, if you butt in and change it, now they're all ticked off because now they got to change what they were going to say, and it's going to take them another 10 minutes to think about it. And all the introverts are like, yep. Yep, yep. 
When the finer filters of the introverts become clogged, in the presence of people, we often go silent. Though we may appear composed on the outside, our minds are in a state of constant activity. When important or difficult information comes our way, ideas swirl in our heads in a hurricane of mental activity while our faces show no ripples. And that's okay. That's all right. God made you you. And now you extroverts are starting to understand other people. Okay, they're not as weird as I think they are. And you introverts, maybe you can look at an extrovert and be like, okay, maybe they're not as weird as I think they are. Listen, it's not better or worse that God has made you you, and He wants you to operate and move in the capacity that He has designed you to operate in. Will you do deliberate spiritual good to others within your personality and your gifting? That's the question, friends. Are you going to be intentional with your God-given makeup to do intentional spiritual good to others? Introverts, and, 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 and this is, I hope, a help, and I, I welcome more ideas, but these are just some that I came up with. Introverts should consider their Facebook and their Twitter and their social media accounts. Because if you're thinking and processing before you post, then you should be posting amazing things on your social media about God to glorify Christ. Okay? Now, now sometimes the extroverts, they just post whatever's on their mind and oh my, you guys need to chill. Because we see it. We see it. You're processing digitally and we're like, oh my gosh, he just, he just put that out to the world. Listen, introverts, this is a way you can disciple people. I, I'm amazed. So last night I was at a family reunion. And I can't tell you how many of my family members that I talk to maybe once in three years come up to me and they're like, oh, I saw this on Facebook about Acts 29 and I saw this about your church and I saw this. And I'm like, I don't even post stuff on Facebook. How did you know all this? Well, it's my wife and then tagging me and then somehow they get a hold of it. But listen, people are looking at your Facebook. My neighbor who I get to talk to, you know, I see them out in the yard and my daughter's a huge help. She's like, I'm going to talk to Carol. I'm going to talk to Rich. And so I follow her and it's a perfect opportunity for me to talk to my neighbors. And, and they're like, oh, I saw your Facebook post about this ministry. And I'm like, I didn't post anything. And I, and I realized it's my wife. Listen, my wife is an introvert to the core. She's back there by herself, hiding out. Don't look at her, she'll freak out. Stop looking at her. She's freaking out internally. No. But in, in all seriousness, you have no idea the power of your social media, introverts, and who's looking at it. The gospel potential for you to think through, what can I put on here that my non-Christian friends and neighbors and family members will see that God might use to save their souls eternally? Friends, this is a way that you can disciple. What about blogging? Listen, if you guys are introverts and you love to think and, and think deeply, write some of that stuff out, read it over 20 times, and then put it out to the world for the spiritual benefit of others. Can you write a card? Maybe it's really hard for you to strike up a conversation, but you can certainly hand a card or a letter to someone. These are all ways that introverts can engage in disciple-making, and it's all helpful. Listen, I know people that keep cards forever and and they reflect on them i mean you know how many c.s lewis letters are floating around that we now have the man wrote thousands upon thousands upon thousands of letters and now we have books full of his letters 
He's dead and gone, and he's still discipling many. Friends, there is ways for you in your introvertedness to still make disciples. You can do this. Introverts should consider using their contemplation to write down ideas and feelings and insights so that others might benefit from them. An encouraging letter, a post, a short article. Listen, whatever the personality God has given us, we should use it for His glory and His kingdom expansion and not look at someone else different than you and judge wrongly. All right, let's do the last point and we're done. Jesus is creating a diverse people to reach a diverse people. 1 Peter 4, 10-11 is one of those places where we find the gifts of God given to us, the differences, as in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. As each has received a gift, use it. So what are gifts for? To use it. Not to sit on it. Not to admire it. Not to put it on a shelf and polish it every now and then. Or to tell other people you have the gift. Use it! That's exhortation, by the way. Use your gift! Each has received a gift. Use it! For what? To serve one another. So your gift is not for you. Most people think, my gifts are all about me. It's for me to self-actualize. It's for me to put myself up. It's for me to glorify myself. Look at me. Look at my gifts. This is almost every musician on the planet. Look at me. Look at my gifts. You know, authors praising themselves to other people. Have you, have you heard about me? Surely you've heard about me. Your gifts are for others. Friends, are you thinking about using the gifts and the personality that God has given you to benefit others, to intentionally do them spiritual good? As good stewards of God's varied grace. There it is again. There's that grace thing. So a steward is one who takes something that's not theirs and uses it to increase and multiply and to uh, take care of. You're a steward. So what are you a steward of? Of God's varied grace. That means gifts. So listen, God has given you gifts to use, not for you, but for the benefit of others. And when you use your gifts to benefit others, you will expand His kingdom and glorify God. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, not you. So, now he's going to talk about the varied gifts. And he, helpfully, only brings it down to two categories. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God. That would be like the Word of God. The oracles of God, the Word of God. And whoever serves, so we have speakers and we have servers. It's not that servers never speak, and it's not that speakers never serve, but primarily you will be one or the other. Primarily you will flourish as a speaker, or you will flourish more as a server. Servers tend to be more uh, in the background and they like that. Like for me to call up a server right now and have them give you a five-minute lecture, their heart would start pounding like they snorted a line of cocaine. They would want to die. I come from the drug world, man. Leave me alone. (laughs) Leave me alone, right? Like they drank 12 Red Bulls. Is that better? Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Now, if I ask someone with a speaking gift to come up and talk for five minutes, their heart would leap inside of them. They'd be like, yes, you know, glory to God. But, but I want you to see that you're either primarily a speaker or you're primarily a server. And that's okay. Don't look at the speaker servers and say, I should be like them. No, you shouldn't. Speakers, stop looking at the servers and saying they should be more like me. Stop it. 
Stop it. That's exhortation, by the way. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now, you servers, that implies you're going to need strength. You need to call on God for strength to serve because serving is hard work and serving is tiring and serving will wear you out. But if you have a speaking gift, you'll come off the speaking and you feel like you just drank 12 Red Bulls. That's from experience. Then you crash later. But listen, the serving will wear you out and you'll get discouraged. So what do you do? You need to tap into God for the strength that He supplies in order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So if we're supplying the strength ourselves, we can get some glory. That's not good. But if we speakers and servers are supplied by God's strength, then whatever gets done, spiritually speaking, for the benefit of others, then God gets the glory. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So there's Peter speaking about the gifts. And you need to be comfortable with how and who God has made you. We get in this? That's the overarching theme of tonight. Be comfortable and operate within who and how God has made you. How many of you have heard of Donald Gray Barnhouse? Any Romans scholars in the house? Okay, Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote a four-volume commentary series on Romans. It is super helpful. But if you're not a reader, don't buy it. Don't waste your money just for it to sit on your shelf. But listen, I'm going to read a little portion of this commentary, and and you're going to see this in operation. You ready? Okay. Some years ago, at a luncheon of ministers, someone remarked on the frigidity of a certain denomination and how its ministers seemed to accomplish little. I told of a scholar who went through theological seminary, was ordained, and he seldom preached, he never went to prayer meetings, and he, he, he uh, absented himself, that means he was absent, from church services for many weeks at a time. He spent his days in his library and indulged in habits which were considered unchristian and intemperate. He lived this way for more than 20 years. I asked, what is your opinion of such a minister? My luncheon companions agreed that he was no credit to the Christian ministry. Then I turned the talk towards study helps. And after several books had been mentioned, I inquired which they thought was the best concordance. They were unanimously preferring the Strong's exhaustive concordance with its Hebrew and Greek lexicons, and it saved the hundreds of them hundreds of hours of work. Now, that was before Logos and the Internet. Okay? It saved them hundreds of hours of work, and it was a blessing to thousands of ministers and Bible students. When they had finished, I remarked, that man whom you said was no credit to the Christian ministry was James Strong, author of the concordance, which you all find so valuable. My friend saw the point. The Lord assigns many kinds of work to his servants, just as he assigned different functions to different parts of the body. And what we have a tendency to do is look at people and say, because you're not doing it like me, you're less valuable than me. Or the flip side is, because I'm not doing it like you, I'm less valuable than you. Stop it. <laughs> okay. James Montgomery Boyce also, in, a, in his fantastic four-volume commentary series on Romans, he says this, what about personality differences? Does every Christian have to be grim like an undertaker or always smiling like a stand-up comedian? Charles Spurgeon was the greatest preacher of his age, but he was frequently criticized for being funny. 
When one woman objected to the humor he inserted into his sermon, Spurgeon told her, Madam, you would, think it a, you would think a great deal better of me if you knew the funny things I kept out. Spurgeon was a character. A young man asked him what he should do with the box of cigars he had been given. Spurgeon solved his problem. Give them to me, he said, and I will smoke them to the glory of God. You know, Spurgeon loved his cigars. On another occasion, Spurgeon was criticized for traveling to meetings in first-class railway carriages. This is the 1800s. His antagonist said, Mr. Spurgeon, what are you doing up here? I am riding back there in third-class carriage, taking care of the Lord's money. Spurgeon replied, and I am up here in first class, taking care of the Lord's servant. (laughs) I find that amusing. You don't, that's okay. I think that's funny. The point is, people are different. And what we have a tendency to do is look at other people and judge them wrongly for who they are and how God has made them. We don't need to waste our time doing that, friends. It's a waste of time. You could be spending that time that you're judging others, getting on with discipleship. Making effective use of your thoughts and time and energy. Yes. Okay. Jesus by His redeeming grace, by His death on the cross, is placing a creative people into a body. This is all by the grace of God through the death of Jesus. We united to Christ by His death, resurrection, ascension. Now He's collecting a people for Himself. And this is a local expression of that body of Christ. We're forgiven, we're washed, we're cleansed. Now we're commissioned and we're given gifts and different measures of faith to go and expand His kingdom, fulfilling the Great Commission, which is to make disciples who make disciples. Friends, you need to ask God how He wants you to be creative, to do this. The point is that you engage and do it, not that you do it like everyone else. We've gone through, I don't know, eight and a half, nine messages now on different ways to do discipling, by now you probably could have picked up at least one way to engage. And I know many of you have, and I'm very thankful that you're applying. You're not just hearing, but you're doing. It's very encouraging to me. So God, in His grace, through Jesus, is collecting a people, His body, with different capacities, personalities, gifts, abilities, uh, and, and with smaller missions in the greater big commission. He's given you a small mission, small M, to fulfill this great, capital C, co-mission. Co-together mission. It's for all of us. And we need to find what Jesus has called us to and how He's wired us to fulfill it, to make disciples who make disciples. Let's not neglect the great discipling commission as we work within who God made us to be and died for us to become. We're the body of Christ, united in Him. Let's act like it and let's get on his mission. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this gift of tonight. Thank you that you have wired people differently. Father, thank you that you have made us who you wanted us to be. Through our upbringing, through our um, experiences, Father, through the gifts that you've given us and the measure of faith that you've given us to use those gifts you've given us. Father, thank you that uh, our trials and tribulations and hardships and sufferings also shape us to be the people we are. And you have custom designed all of it so that we might be a certain people to reach a certain people. Father, may we not be discouraged in who we are. Rather, may we see ourselves as in Christ, accepted 
and empowered by the same Holy Spirit as everyone else who's in Christ. Father, I pray for those in here who are timid to uh, engage in this discipleship commission that you've given us. And I pray that each one in here would tap into the great energy and power that is available to them for this great mission that you've given all of us. And may we see fruit from our efforts only by your strength. As you've told us, Jesus, in your word, without me, you can do nothing. And we believe that and we ask for your strength and power as we move out to make disciples who make disciples. Jesus, thank you for cleansing us, for washing us, for giving us your no condemnation status as we receive your great gift that you purchased for us on the cross by your own blood. And now that as we remember your body and blood broken and shed for us, I pray that you would uh, show us our need for you and encourage our uh, dependence upon you. It's in Jesus' name. Everyone said?